Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you all this morning as I give a pastoral charge to uh, Reverend uh, Devin Coleman this morning. Uh, So I have had the privilege of getting to know Devin over the past year and a half or two years. I have served as his field elder, uh, which means we have drank a lot of Enda coffee and walked through his internship together Uh, making sure that he fulfilled all the requirements that he needed uh, to be ordained in our presbytery. And uh, I've been a teaching elder in our presbytery for the past six years or so. And uh, Devin, it is such an honor. uh, And I'm humbled uh, to be invited by you to be a part of this commission to ordain you. Uh, But I think even more humbled uh, to be giving you the pastoral charge this morning from Philippians 2. And I can think of no better place Uh, to charge you then from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, And so what I would like to do is read verses 1 through 11, and then I'll give you a brief charge. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, hear God's word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. So the book of church order uh, commands us as pastors to give a newly ordained pastor a pastoral charge. And it says this, a charge for you to persevere in the discharge of your duties as pastor to this beloved congregation. And so I want us to think and frame our time together with that. Although I am going to use the word responsibilities because we have kids in the sanctuary that I'm sure would love to giggle over the repeated use of the word duties. And I can think of no better place of a pastoral charge than from Pastor Paul himself here in Philippians 2. He's in prison as he's writing this to his church. And I know he's trying to challenge and encourage his church, but I can only think that he is looking back over his apostolic and pastoral ministry and probably thinking through the years of pastoral responsibilities that he was given by the Lord himself for his church as well. And so from this text, I would like to charge you with three brief thoughts to help you persevere as a faithful 
gospel-centered pastor here at Columbia Presbyterian Church. And the first thought is this, Devin, that you would be filled with a gospel-centered unity. A gospel-centered unity. Everything that Paul says in this text is rooted in the gospel. His encouragement comes from a place of participation in the Holy Spirit. And his charge to the church is only as effective as the people have participation in the Holy Spirit. In all of these encouragements, Devin, remember that the root that these encouragements flow from, they are powered by, and they are only as effective as the gospel drives them to be effective. But this charge rooted in the gospel is first a call to unity, a call to unity. Devin, persevering in your responsibility as a pastor is pursuing loving unity with those that you pastor. It's a unity that crosses socioeconomic boundaries. It's a unity that crosses age boundaries. It's a unity that crosses ethnic boundaries. It crosses racial boundaries. It's a unification around the gospel and around the mission that God has entrusted to your care as a pastor of this church, to be a disciple-making church, to be a church-planting church, to be witnesses to your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's a responsibility of yours as pastor to cultivate that kind of unity, to encourage and inspire and live out that unity so that all of Columbia, Benedict and Allen College where you serve and all of the Midlands might know the glory and the greatness of God. And Paul wasn't the only one that thought this was a great idea. Jesus prayed this. The night that he was betrayed, he said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. This unity that Paul calls us to is just a reflection of the unity of our beloved Trinity. And Devin, may the Holy Spirit strengthen you for this kind of gospel-centered unity. But the second thought is this. Devin, a gospel-centered humility. Persevere in a gospel-centered humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. It is an unfortunate time where pastors are receiving over and over again a terrible reputation for arrogance, for being know-it-alls, for always wanting the spotlight, for being the center of attention, uh, leading for gain. Um, It's unfortunate that the world views pastors this way, and unfortunately, many of us have brought it on ourselves. But Paul wants to combat what is in the heart of every human, what is in the heart of every man, and certainly what is in the heart of every pastor. He wants to combat it with a gospel-centered unity. For you, charging us to always consider others to be more important than ourselves. Devin, I want you to take a minute and look around this room And there are so many more even in the lobby as we're going through this. Look at the faces of the people that you have shepherded, served, 
taught, discipled, comforted, prayed with, prayed for over the past few years. These are the people that God has entrusted to your care. You are Jesus's under shepherd of this congregation. They are under your service, under your care. They are more important than you are. And your duty, your responsibility is to consider them more significant than yourself. Your vision, your desires, your gifts, your leadership shouldn't come from a place of self-gratification, but a place of congregational exaltation, a place where you constantly want their best. So may the Holy Spirit strengthen you with a gospel-centered humility. And the final charge to persevere in the discharge of your responsibilities is this, to be centered in the gospel, to always be centered in the gospel. All that Paul says here in Philippians 2 is based on this example of Jesus, right? Who emptied himself for the unity of the bride, who emptied himself for the unity of the church, who thought of us as more important than himself, who thought of his father's will as more important than his own will, who displayed unity and humility more than anyone could ever do, even when he knew it would cost him his life. The gospel teaches you, Devin, that God loved you so much that he gave Christ for you. He gave Christ to live a life that you could never live And he died a death in your place. And he rose from the dead for your justification. And Jesus is now ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, praying, interceding for you now that your faith may not fail. And my charge this morning is that you remain centered on that truth, centered in that gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel often. Preach the gospel to yourself first and often. Surround yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ who will remind you of the gospel. Remind yourself when you fail at unity and humility that the mercies of God are new every morning, that his faithfulness is great to you. And at the end of each day, remind yourself of the forgiveness of God through Jesus when you blow it, because we all do. And it is out of that gospel-centeredness, Devin, that you will be able to accomplish your chief responsibility as a pastor to remind this congregation of the gospel, to be a beacon of good news, to be a mouthpiece for the Lord, proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What this church needs more than anything else is another pastor who out of gospel-centeredness will lead them into unity and lead them with humility. And so Devin, may you by the grace of God, by the strength of the Holy Spirit, be just such a pastor. Amen. Amen. David. Amen. Amen. Thank you, dear brother. Beautiful charge. 
That's the charge to Devon, and now I want us to think about ourselves as a congregation. So look again at Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to continue reading from verse 12. Paul continues by saying this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights of the world." holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So my role is to charge us as a congregation to ready ourselves to receive the ministry of Reverend Devin Coleman. We are going to be the recipients of that, and I'm going to do that, but I thought we would expand it a little further to think and remember every single person in this church is responsible to disciple and to be discipled. It's not just the reverends and the laity Every single person in this room is actively being discipled by someone or someones and discipling others in all the many ways and roles that God has given us according to Ephesians chapter 4. So each of us, even as we hear this, none of us can say, well, in the church, I'm only a giver. I'm only a discipler. Or I'm only a taker. I'm only a person who receives discipleship. Every single one of us is thinking, How do I receive the discipleship efforts of my pastors, elders, parents, women's team leaders, and anybody that God has given to me? The end of this passage is plain. If the pastor, shepherd, discipler is doing his or her job and the flock are doing their jobs, we will be all the happier for it. I get that in verses 17 and 18. Look again. Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you all should be glad and rejoice with me. So my charge to the members of Columbia Presbyterian Church is this. Make being discipled a mutual joy. Make being discipled a mutual joy. And we chase this joy together by doing the work of God as children of God for the day of God. Work to make being discipled a mutual joy. Number one, make being discipled a mutual joy through the work of God. I get that in verses 12 and 13. Nothing makes pastoring more miserable than a person who only works out their salvation when the pastor is present. You know when you tell your kids to clean their room and you leave for like two seconds and then you come back and open the door and they jump and it's like, what were you doing? Because I know it wasn't cleaning the room, otherwise you wouldn't have jumped. Why did you jump? What were you doing when I was gone for two seconds? 
that's sometimes what the membership of the church can feel like. There is a type of parishioner that wants hand-holding for every step of their sanctification. I'm not talking about the humble believer who wants accountability and wants discipleship and wants to be shepherded and wants to be counseled. I'm talking about the needy, greedy parishioner that will not budge unless someone is holding their hand. I want a personal invitation to everything we do as a church. I want you to follow up. If I didn't come to that thing we did as a church, I want you to give me a Bible reading plan. I want you to ask me every day if I did the Bible reading plan. I want, I want, I want, I want. And counter to that, Paul says in verse 12, as you obeyed in my presence, now do much more in my absence. Do it without me. Well, how can I do it without the pastor if he's not there to hold my hand and walk me through every step of my sanctification? Paul answers in verse 13, for it is God, not your pastor, not your parents, not your elder, not the person you trusted who now you can't trust anymore. It is God who is in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You could be stranded on an island without a mature believer in sight and you know what God can do? He can make you want it and he can make you work it. That's the power of God in us as believers. The path of mutual discipleship joy is to embrace the work of God as my true power for change. That's number one. Number two, make being discipled a mutual joy as children of God. Verses 14 and 15. Paul calls us children of God. He calls us lights of the world who stand out apart from a crooked and twisted generation. Now, when you hear those words, you hear that dramatic description, all of us could wonder, well, what on earth is Paul thinking of when he says the world is crooked and twisted, but you're not that way. You are shining lights that stand out apart from the darkness of the world. What is Paul thinking of specifically? And if I put a question to us, I think we'd all say the major sins, money, sex, power, something related to those Paul must be thinking of. But do you know what is actually on his mind? Verse 14, the heinous sins of grumbling and arguing. Can you believe that? Grumbling, arguing, canceling one another, dividing over vision, dividing over politics, dividing over the color of our skin, dividing over the color of the carpet that we're going to put in the church lobby. They're so prevalent in the church, they hardly register as sins among God's people, but God says they are. They are snaring, smoldering traps for the church. Well did John Calvin rebuke a group of griping, bickering pastors when he said, 
Y'all make war with each other as if you are at peace with the world. Like you had time to turn around and make war with each other. This is not our fight. I am not your fight. You are not my fight. We are not the fight with each other. This is the church of God. We fight against hot and thick powers and principalities that prey upon our membership. Even this morning, the path of mutual discipleship joy is to unite as friends and family in the household of God to do things differently and to be for each other. And number three, finally, we make being discipled a mutual joy for the day of God, verses 16 to 18. Every thought, every word, every deed, every stage of the life of this church and every stage in our own lives, every day spent at work or at home, every member who joins and every pastor who is ordained, we are all hurtling towards that great day of days. Victory day, D-day, the day of God, the day of Christ's victory. Nothing else matters Nothing else satisfies, nothing else fulfills, sustains, refreshes us in this long obedience in the same direction like the appearing of Jesus himself. And he will come, and he will appear, and we will see him face to face. And when he does, we might get caught like that kid cleaning his room only when the parents are watching. And we might get caught like that member who always has something to grumble or mumble about the way we do things around here. But here's a grace. It doesn't matter. The day of Christ is big enough to absorb all of it and all of us into his everlasting loving kindness. And when Paul says, even when you think that day couldn't be grander, couldn't be sweeter, couldn't be more glorious to finally see what our souls have so longed for, when you think there's nothing else that can be added to that day of days, the day of Christ, Paul says, hang on, there's one more grace, there's one more mercy. Every saint that I have helped draw closer to Jesus and every saint that has helped draw me closer to Jesus, we will look at each other on that glorious day and we will be glad and rejoice in what God has done through us and among us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring your victory day, and when you bring it, bring the sweetness of your grace in our lives to be for each other, to labor for each other, to be believers who who work to present each other mature in Christ so that we might rejoice and enjoy the fellowship of the saints that you have brought on that 
perfect day of victory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.